There's a lot of food insecurity. People don't have access to fresh produce. So again, that's kind of that full circle experience where we're really trying to turn this food waste into new food products for people in the same area. Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today, Dylan Liu, is the CEO of Ecotone Renewables. They're focused on changing the food system, making it into a food cycle, and better utilizing the waste that restaurants and other food production facilities put out in order to reduce methane gas emissions and improve the health of our soil. I learned so much over the course of this conversation. When we got to the recording, we did not have one of the wires that we need for our standard audio gear, so it is a little bit worse audio quality than you may be used to if you are a regular listener, but I promise the insights that Dylan delivers are well, well worth it. They also have a crowdfunding campaign to help them hit the next level as a company. I've linked it in the show notes. You can check that out and learn about a healthier food cycle. Here is Dylan you're listening to going deep with aaron watson dylan thanks for coming on the podcast man i'm excited to be talking with you thanks for having me Aaron. very much a pleasure to meet you so i want to start off explaining for people having you explain for people because i'm not gonna be able to do it what is the food loop and maybe you can give us kind of like a course A, course B, the conventional path and the path that you are hopeful that we can move towards. Definitely. Yeah. So right now it's not really a loop at all. And that's kind of the issue that we're trying to address is right now our food system is very linear. So it's going from farm to any supermarkets or stores to consumers and then to landfill. And there is no circular pattern that's kind of bringing any revenue or nutrients back into the start of that food system. So that's kind of where we're jumping in is trying to be that keystone almost that recaptures otherwise lost revenue and nutrients and puts it back into the food system from the start. So it helps grow new food produce, helps tackle food deserts and food insecurity. And that's very much our mission at Ecotone Renewables too. And so when you say it's kind of extractive, I've heard stuff about like, you know, basically soil quality getting degraded because of this farming, these farming patterns that basically take the nutrients out of the dirt and turn it into food, which is great for the people who are eating that food. But the, you know, the value of that land, the, the output, the efficacy of it, forget any sort of climate situation, weather situation is just degraded simply on that basis. Is that relatively accurate? Very true. Yeah. I think right now with current estimates, they're estimating around 50 years or so. U.S. topsoil is basically going to be dead and gone, and there aren't going to be microbes and nutrients and long-term soil health within that, and it'll be very difficult to grow produce at the scale that we're currently doing. So that's also very much an issue that we're trying to address as much as possible is improving long-term soil health. And a lot of what we're focusing on with that is reintroducing very beneficial bacteria and microbes back into the soil. And that's mostly through composting. So it's not quite composting, but our process is somewhat comparable. So our process is called anaerobic digestion, and it basically is composting, but without oxygen. So it's all in contained tanks and totes and pipes. And this process breaks down food waste a lot faster. So it's around a 20 day cycle for our system. 
and it captures all of the methane gas that's produced from this waste. So instead of landfilling the waste, composting the waste, where obviously composting is a lot better than landfilling, but for both of those, you're still getting these methane and CO2 emissions. Okay. And with our system, we're actually capturing all of those emissions. We scrub the biogas that's produced, and we actually run that through a generator to generate electricity from the food waste. So this we're stacking up a lot of complexity here really yeah. quickly. And there's a there's a really interesting engineering problem that goes into something like that. But let's take it one okay. step back. Composting generally for folks. I just started doing this. I bought a house, just started doing this, where you have your food scraps, your kind of non-protein and fat-based food scraps that were not completed as part of the meal, or maybe you know you cut the, the top of your strawberry off or something like that. That goes into a pile with some other um, organic material. And basically, instead of going into some landfill or whatever kind of traditional waste management process, that is broken down right there in the yard where insects are feeding on it. Um, you know, g- g- paint some more color here. What's, what's happening? How does it work? What's like the basics 101? And then really, that'll get us to your, uh, when I get right, the seahorse anaerobic digester, which is kind exactly. of the 202, yeah. 303. Definitely, yeah. So it's all done with bacteria, microbes, and insects, as you mentioned, too. So these are kind of these little work engines that are doing all the work for us and are breaking down these larger uh, materials into smaller particles. So that makes it a lot easier for plants and other kind of like uh, plants, trees, vegetable produce, all of them to uptake those nutrients again. So that's kind of that goal with breaking down the food waste so that it can actually be taken back up through the root systems. Gotcha. And so basically what what this system is that you guys have developed is speeding up that process. And why is the reduction, it sounds like reduction of methane gas release, why is that more? Exactly. So methane gas is around 84 times as potent as CO2 on a 20 year time scale. Okay. So a lot of the time when we see that statistic, people are say, oh, it's around 20 to 30 percent or 30 times more potent than CO2. But that's on a hundred year time scale. And we all very much know that we don't have a hundred years to solve global warming and reduce our carbon emissions. So why this is important is because, again, this methane gas 84 times as potent on this 20 year scale that we're working on. And right now, food waste so just degrading waste in landfills, on like in compost piles everywhere, that's 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And for magnitude, that's about double what the airline industry is polluting. Wow. And that's not even growing the food, transporting it, watering it, all the energy that goes into that. That's just degrading food waste alone. Wow. So in the capturing process. So like you've also, I've also heard about like carbon capture technology, which is like, let's go up into the sky, (laughs) grab some carbon, bring it back down so that it's not creating, I'm oversimplifying here, but creating the denser atmosphere that kind of holds in the heat of the, um, surrounding the earth. What this is basically saying is let's not even let it get up there. Let's kind of contain that release of carbon and then keep it within your machine. I don't know if you call it machine system. What do you call it? System. Yeah. Exactly. So we're trying to divert emissions as much as possible. So that's capturing it and we use it to actually generate electricity. Okay. So that's also displacing additional carbon emissions that would be used to traditionally make this energy. So in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh here, a lot of that's gas turbines. So that's natural gas being used to generate all this electricity. And any electricity and energy we produce is actually displacing that production as well 
which is great, and adding to some independent microgrid production, which again, that's kind of a little bit of a tangent, so I won't get quite into that yet. We'll get there, but just, you know, basic, like give me a science 101 lesson here. When we're talking about turning the methane into power as opposed to the natural gas, how does that not end up as something released in the atmosphere? What's, what's, what's happening so that's not the case? It's a combustion process. Okay. So there are still a level of emissions from our process. So we are burning methane gas. It's around 60% methane gas that we're burning. And the only emissions that we have is CO2. So there are some small amounts of CO2 emissions from this combustion process. But again, you're making it from 84 times as potent to one times as potent because you're turning that methane gas into CO2 through that process. So to grossly oversimplify, we're taking this methane gas and instead of the super potent stuff, we're getting some electricity and we're getting some CO2. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, talk to us a little bit about the scale of the seahorse anaerobic digester and then a little bit about the origin stories of this. Like what, what made you so excited to go pursue this as like a business opportunity? Definitely, yeah. So our system scales quite small and that's kind of our goal with this as well. So it processes around 10 tons of food waste a year annually. And to give you a little bit of reference based on some average waste data in the US specifically, that's around 55 people's worth a year. Okay. But what we're specifically targeting with this is either like an apartment building, let's say of 50, 100 people, or a supermarket, a grocery store, a restaurant. It's those types of small businesses that don't currently have any affordable and sustainable food waste recycling options. They do have cardboard recycling, some plastic recycling, but a lot of them really don't have an option for food waste recycling. So that's kind of this specific niche that we're entering and why I'm very excited about it too is I feel like it's a very unaddressed market right now and it's interesting too with the timing that a lot of states and cities are currently banning food waste from landfill which is really great legislation oh. and some of the most recent examples are New Jersey, New York City, and Boston that are basically telling businesses that if you produce over, to, over a certain amount of food waste you can't put that in garbage cans. So these businesses also then are left with this new legislation and no, again, no sustainable or affordable options. So they do need to find some sort of solution for their food waste. So the timing with that is also quite exciting for me. Gotcha. So when you actually decided like, hey, I'm gonna go do this thing, I'm gonna have the, the campaign to get the thing started, but also just like, you know, get the other team members on board, start actually pulling in this direction. Was there a, you know, was it market research in the kind of like conventional entrepreneurial sense where, you know, I think this is a thesis, I'm going to go test out. Like what was the initial stages here before you actually said, let's go do this thing? We've definitely gone through a few iterations and pivots throughout this time. So I joined the team about four years ago now, which is kind of crazy. My freshman year of college at Carnegie Mellon University and the team had actually just decided to start pivoting. We recently constructed and operated an uh, aquaponics farm in downtown Pittsburgh. So that's where you're growing fish and plants kind of in, in this symbiotic relationship where the fish are fertilizing the plants, you use the plants to feed the fish. And again, we we're trying to address this kind of small scale market. So it was in a eight by 10 foot shipping container or eight by 20 foot shipping container. 
And that was the first portable farm in Pittsburgh, which is, was a really exciting accomplishment. But we did realize from operating the system that aquaponics doesn't really work on a small scale. And you really do need to have a large scale operation to make it profitable. Why so is that? It's because you're using a lot of energy, especially in the winter here, to heat these humongous water tanks. So we were growing tilapia and that's just like a very large undertaking for some college students to do in a small shipping container. And again, it's really that energy use, some of the equipment you need as well. And you're really not getting that much um, material from it. You're not really getting much fish products as, as well as plant products from it. So from operating that and kind of working through that experience is when we decided to pivot towards focusing on anaerobic digestion. And that was through our original CEO, Vin, who actually interned for our uh, manufacturing and IP partner, Impact Bioenergy. Again, this was around four and a half years ago now. And together with them, they developed this small scale system, the Seahorse, which is a scaled down version of these huge anaerobic digesters that are made for entire islands or entire neighborhoods. And again, our goal was to kind of scale this down and make this more accessible for small business owners. Gotcha. So that's really what you, you've mentioned shipping container a couple of times now. That's the <laughs> yeah. factor of this thing. If I'm if I'm buying your product or one of your products, it's this um, shipping container that, to oversimplify, you can paint some more color on it. Food comes in one end, out the other end comes CO2 and power for the some, some electric power and then compost, which could be used to grow other food. Is that correct? Exactly. So our main byproduct, the energy is really exciting because it's cool that you can generate electricity from food waste. But the main product that we've actually developed over the past two years is the fertilizer coming out of the system. Okay. So there isn't any waste being produced from the system. Everything's being used. So that energy is being used, that biogas that's coming out of the system as well as it's a liquid organic fertilizer, which we call our soil sauce. Okay. And that's really what we've been focusing on and what's been uh, really fun to explore kind of the quantitative impacts of that because it does have amazing effects on long-term soil health. Hydroponic plant growth is something we've recently been testing as well as large-scale farming. So help me understand the business model that would be proposed for one of these seahorses because dumpsters relatively straightforward i'm paying you to allow it to be placed here for some period of time and then it's presumed at the end of whatever period you're going to take it away and if it's a you know an apartment building or some sort of commercial space there's a regularity of schedule or if you want to check out a past interview with uh sequoia waste management that we did they you know make it a little bit smarter for when the dumpster actually gets picked up as opposed to just on some sort of regular schedule but take us through the kind of business model here for one of these seahorses definitely so we've actually got four different business models that were kind of flexible and open to pursuing so again we've had our pilot system operating for two years now where we've learned a ton of information on how to operate these systems so based on that learning, we're looking to propose, again, these four different options. And on one end of the spectrum, you have a system that we completely operate and take care of. And the only thing uh, like partner business is doing is providing the food waste. So a great example for that one, I think, is a restaurant. They're not going to want to deal with operating a system or any additional energy or things they need to think about. They're very busy business owners. Yeah. 
So they would be a very great customer for this specific business model where all they're doing is putting their food waste either in buckets or right outside the system in their parking lot, and we would be taking care of the rest. Okay, so so basically what you're saying there is if you're in one of those uh, legal jurisdictions where it's illegal to be throwing out this food waste, then we will be effectively uh, a service provider where you're paying us to take the food away for you, or perhaps it's... Is that, is, that the, is that what you're proposing? Exactly, yeah, and it doesn't need to be constrained to the cities that are banning food scraps because waste is very expensive. So in Pittsburgh, the average trash hauling fee is around $45 a ton. Okay. In New York City, LA, Chicago, these rates can go up to like past $100 a ton. Wow. So that's a lot of money these people are spending to put this waste and get it hauled to landfills. So that's something we're also looking to actually reduce their costs for that. So it would be a service that would basically be cheaper than their current options, which is, again, not sustainable at all, kind of just hauling it to landfill. And so theoretically, you could subsidize that haul-away cost to some way, shape, or form because you're turning that into a deliverable product as opposed to the landfill company. It's like, well, we just have the space for it. Exactly, yeah. And the product very much is this fertilizer that we're selling. So that's kind of been our focus right now is uh, getting it into as many community gardens and farmers and just home gardeners' hands and testing it. And it's been very impactful to see all their responses too. So I think the greatest example here in Pittsburgh is with Sheridan Orchards located uh, in East Liberty, kind of right down the street from Noodle Heads, I think the location we all know. Noodle Heads, the (laughs) Hannah's swag too. Noodle Heads, the spot. Definitely. So we donated around... 200 gallons of our fertilizer to them uh, the past two years, and that resulted last year in their best harvest to date with over 600 pounds of fresh produce, and that's all donated to the local community. And a lot of these areas, too, in Pittsburgh are food deserts. There's a lot of food insecurity. People don't have access to fresh produce. So again, that's kind of that full circle experience where we're really trying to turn this food waste into new food products for people in the same area. Gotcha. Okay. Can you just talk a little bit about the fertilizer market generally? Because to me, I'm a bit of a nerd. So I I was like looking at through like this geopolitical lens and these different areas that like used to really struggle to produce food and they've seen stuff increased. But the market is freaking enormous. And unless you are like actively engaged in gardening or in the farming industry, you're probably completely unaware. Definitely, yeah. And I think a statistic that's really important to keep in mind with fertilizer is that over 50% of fossil fuels used in farming are for for, for making fertilizer. So it's a really energy-intensive process called the Haber-Bosch process, and that's to produce nitrogen specifically. So there's a few different macro and micronutrients that make up most fertilizers, but a lot of these synthetic ones are just focused on this nitrogen or some of the other macronutrients too. And that's using a ton of coal, natural gas, and producing a lot of emissions too. So that's, I think, one of the scariest things about fertilizer, but one of the best things about fertilizer is it increases crop yields and allows us to feed the whole world. And really that's, you know, when you look at different areas of the world, um, you know, something like Central uh, North America is called a breadbasket because of the relative lesser amount of inputs needed to yield 
crops in that region and why, amongst other, reason, uh, amongst other reasons, the U.S. really has this basically like geopolitical gold mine in terms of um, safety and resources and what have you. And then you have other arenas like, say, Brazil, that require substantially larger inputs in that case these um, oil and gas based um, or oil, oil and gas requisite inputs in order to fertilize and have the crop yields that they need. Exactly. Yeah. And it's quite scary too, just how much emissions are being produced from all this fertilizer. And that's kind of what we're trying to tackle here with our soil sauces. Instead of producing emissions from it, we're actually diverting emissions. So for each gallon of soil sauce that we produce, it's around 89 pounds of CO2 equivalent that we're diverting. Wow. So instead of pumping out more CO2 into the atmosphere when we're producing this fertilizer, we're actually diverting CO2 from the atmosphere. And not only that, but we're also, again, trying to focus on this, this long-term soil health where right now just pumping in synthetic nitrogen into the soil, that's not going to do much. That might help with your year, like this one single year of crop yields. It's a spray tan. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a great analogy. It's not a long-term solution and it's not actually going to improve your long-term crop yields and soil health. And a lot of this monocropping, uh, synthetic fertilizer use, it's all contributing to this degradation of our lands here. So I'm fascinated by businesses like this because my perception is that this is up there in like whatever the spectrum is of businesses that are like mission oriented. I don't know if you saw the, the most recent Bo Burnham stand up special, but like he has this bit about like mini wheats. What do you stand for? Do you stand for like, you know, fighting narcolepsy or like so like like they're like there's these brands that are grasping desperately at like meaning and mission in an age in a in an economy where that is something that there is a generalized appetite for. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have a business like this where it's just baked into your DNA, right? Like it's not even the name. It, it, we have the ecology, the renewable kind of mission baked into the name here. And what I, 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 this is maybe I'm trying to think about how to say this is like not like a critique. I just think it's the opportunity is I would love to see businesses like this with very kind of mission oriented, scientifically backed founders and, and characters like yourself married to just like the tenacity of like, you know, you've seen the Wolf of Wall Street, use another like uh, yeah. pop culture example, <laughs> yeah. like that type of sales room, but instead of selling dog shit financial products, selling this type of product into as many arenas as possible. Exactly. And that's been our goal the past year specifically is to prove the economy of this system is to make this system profitable, profitable to show how it can help communities, but also raise capital, produce local uh, jobs, as well as learning opportunities for local residents. So that's something we're specifically focused on, too, is how to make this system profitable, which has been really exciting to prove this past year. And I'll definitely give a shout out to our new chief financial officer, Elliot Bennett, who's been very much focused on that and uh, focused on fertilizer sales and getting it into farmers' hands, which has been really helpful in proving this mission too. So what kind of data points are you after when you're proving something like that, that you can then take to the next sale and the next year, or you know, re-up for the next year's lease? Definitely, so testimonials are always helpful. 
it's interesting because so this past year we're part of the clean tech open accelerator which has been extremely helpful and part of that experience was customer discovery so we spoke with 72 potential customers which included farmers restaurants supermarkets but specifically with these conversations with farmers it's so interesting to learn about their experiences because they're experts no one else knows what they know about especially their specific plot of land and everyone's tailored nutrients towards their plot of land. They each have different fertilizer applications for different types of plants. So that's been really interesting to learn more about. And that's where it is quite difficult to quantify like exactly how much fertilizer you should put on and what types of fertilizer. And it varies for every single type of plant too. So that's something we've been trying to quantify as best we can. So this past summer we grew Roma tomatoes, jalapeno, and chili peppers up in our greenhouse, and we tested different concentrations of our fertilizer in a hydroponic growth setting. So that's without any soil, just a water nutrient solution. And some of these data points that we're pulling out from that is the mass of the root system that grows, the stem, the stem width, as well as the height of the plant, and how much weight and produce it's producing. Gotcha. And so it's called the soil sauce, right? I have to imagine to some degree, too, that that's dependent upon what food is actually being, you wouldn't say composted, anaerobically digested, to use your term. Um, but you don't necessarily have control over that if it's like a restaurant. Like maybe you kind of vaguely know the menu, but like you can't, you're like downstream of the fact that, man, people are really just into the blooming onion or whatever the like thing is at this particular restaurant versus that restaurant versus what people are cooking with in their apartment building, right? Definitely, yeah. So that's been interesting to notice too. So over the past two years running this pilot system, it's been interesting to notice that those nutrient levels haven't actually been changing that much. Okay. So they definitely do vary slightly based on what types of inputs you're putting into the system, but we currently have enough variety. And since the system is all, it all ends up being mixed together, it does end up kind of evening the nutrient levels out over time. So we haven't really noticed any specific spikes or drops in nutrient levels based on the types of food we're putting in. So that's also something we've been focused on is it doesn't make sense and it's not an easy solution if people can't put most food waste in. Right. Like if, you, if we're really nitpicky about, oh, we just want this, we don't want that, that's gonna make it quite difficult for any sort of business to get involved. So we've been very open with the types of food we can process and a specific benefit of our system is that it can process a lot more different types of food groups compared to traditional composting. So in composting where you can't process any meats, dairies, fats, that can all go right into our system. Oh wow! So we can actually process carbohydrates, meats, fish, fats, eggshells, um, any sort of vegetables, fruits. And the only limitations are that we can't process really salty foods. So that's kind of part of that process of what goes in comes out of the system is we don't want a lot of salt in our fertilizer. That's not good for lands and crops. So that's one specific thing we try to avoid. And that's quite easy by just avoiding cooked food scraps. So most people salt their food quite heavily and usually during the cooking process. So that's something that we are specifically focused on post-consumer scraps or pre-consumer scraps that don't have all that added salt to. Gotcha. So maybe before we, we end towards wrapping up here, can you just talk a little bit more about 
getting a company like this off the ground and, and not that you figure out every single like piece, but you talked about there being an accelerator, you talked about there, I, I referenced the, the um, crowdfunding campaign that you're doing, but just in terms of, um, you know, the, the, there's, a, there's a trope about, you know, we spent the last decade or two really innovating and disrupting in the world of bits. We got 140 characters from Twitter, we've got B2B SaaS out the wazoo, but many of the most salient problems that face us, affordable housing, um, the climate generally, the topsoil um, and, and food output, these are physical world problems, transportation being another one. Um, and so what is fascinating to me is that there's these models that are very legible to people. If you were gonna go start the next project management software startup, approximately what a, you know, a seed, a series A, a series B would look like, where you would go for those type of things. But in this arena specifically, can you just talk a little bit from your vantage point about what was essential to getting this thing started, maybe what was overrated, and then what your kind of goals are for the future as it pertains to getting the seahorse into as many locations as possible? Definitely. So the first step is definitely a great team. And we've had that at Ecotone Renewables, which has been awesome. We also have a really strong internship program, which has been doing very well the past year. And I think that team is very much the foundation of any company. The second priority, I would say, is customer discovery. So just going out there and talking to potential customers and seeing if your assumptions about what you think is a problem is correct. Because we might have this really cool solution to food waste, but if no one else agrees that is actually working in this industry and they also don't identify that as a problem, then your product isn't really going to do much. And that's something that the first year we are operating the system, we're kind of very much enclosed and focused on just getting the technology to work. So it's been very helpful the past year to kind of prove that not only have we gotten the technology to work, but all of these people we've talked to also identify this as a clear pain point in their experience. So whether that's the person that takes out the garbage for the supermarket, whether that's the supermarket manager that's seeing all their costs for the waste hauling, they all identify this as an issue. And they've also specifically voiced with kind of our prodding questions that they do want more sustainable and more cost-effective solutions to this. Right on. Well, I'm excited about what you guys are working on. I'm excited about, I, like I said, I just started composting and I guess I'm now cognizant of the methane that I'm releasing, but I still feel like I'm doing my part it's a little a bit better, better than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> um, for folks that want to uh, contribute, be involved in some way, shape or form, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide for people? So the easiest way to get involved is through Instagram and Facebook. For both of those, we are at Ecotone Renew. And we also have an Indiegogo campaign, which is really exciting, where you can actually purchase some of our soil softs, as well as purchase carbon offsets and any sort of gift packages for the upcoming holidays. So that's definitely the most direct way to get involved. And one thing I will say too, is our fertilizer and composting aren't mutually exclusive at all. So something that's been really interesting is also exploring how our fertilizer and how it's packed with all of these microbes and bacteria when added to a compost pile actually helps speed that process up. Oh, so if you already have your compost pile and it's going well, definitely keep that going. But know that adding additional microbes and bacteria, especially these strong beneficial ones, also helps speed up that process. So, so 
the soil sauce fertilizer, like what it looks like a little almost like jar, like peanut butter type size. It is a it is a reused peanut butter jar. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Good eye by me. Um, and so are what most people would be doing putting that on compost or putting that like, hey, I just planted my arugula and tomato and whatever else and directly onto those plants. How does that work? Both. So you can use it in a few different ways, and that's kind of one of the great benefits of it is it is pretty flexible. So you can use it as a compost accelerator. You can also use it as a direct garden application or for your house plants. So for that, we just recommend a one to five dilution. Okay. So you see your little peanut butter jar. Um, you would be diluting that with five times the amount of water. So let's say you have one cup of soil sauce, five cups of water, give that a little mix or a stir, and you just apply that to any house plants and garden plants. Right on, very cool. Uh, we're going to link all that in the show notes. GoingDeepInThere.com slash podcast is a place to find for every single episode of this show or in the podcast app where people are probably listening right now. Uh, but before I let you go, Dylan, I would love to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. I would say my challenge to all of you is try to reduce your own food waste as much as possible whether that's trying to reuse food scraps. I think a great way to do that is making vegetable or meat stocks. Whether you try to regrow any of your own plants, start your own garden, that's a great way to reuse um, and reduce food waste. And I think a fun way to do that is also with, uh, let's say like bok choy, the bottom of that, or like lettuce or scallions where you get these little root stemmings. Mm -hmm. You can actually just put that right in a little cup or ramekin with water and you'll get new plants in a few weeks or so. So that's another easy, fun way to reduce the amount of food that you're purchasing, reduce any food waste. And again, just as much as you can reduce your food waste. It is quite difficult. So try to do these little things as much as you can. And we all do have a role to play in this. So try to be that kind of positive change that you can be. Absolutely. And and I also just found that, you know, it's a really cool learning process where you have to imagine in in different cultures that were much living much more close to the land, not inside, in the AC, breathing furnace air, whatever, (laughs) but like out there, they would have had greater cognizance of this type of stuff. And for many people, it's almost like a relearning of sorts to kind of reconnect that way. At least it's it's been from my vantage point. So very cool. Love the mission. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Aaron. We just went deep with Dylan Liu. Everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Dylan. If you enjoyed it, please hit subscribe. We have some fantastic interviews coming down the pipe, including one of the most successful entrepreneurs that we have ever had on this show, without question in the top 10% for building, selling, scaling companies. You are not going to want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.